Welcome to Culture Matters, a podcast that explores the intersection of faith and culture. I'm Elizabeth Woodson, and I'm here with my co-host, Adam Hawkins, and our producer, David Roark. How are y'all doing tonight? Doing well. Doing well. Ready to uh, dig into this election stuff, so. Yeah, we don't have anything crazy to talk about tonight. Nothing <laughs> nothing crazy at all. <laughs> Everyone will ep- be very happy with what we say. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone. <laughs> In this episode, we're going to talk about the results of the presidential election and how Christians can remain faithful during these divisive and confusing times. At this point, it's been determined that Joe Biden is the president-elect and will be the next president of the United States. With that said, it's not been a simple or clear process because of mail-in voting and other factors, voting counting lasting days, y'all, days after the election. Mm -hmm. And now President (laughs) Donald Trump is claiming voter fraud. In short, y'all, it's a little bit of a hot mess. So let's start there. Just a little bit. (laughs) Just a little bit. Just a tank. (laughs) David, how are you feeling about this situation and kind of the general chaos that feels like is swirling around us. I'm feeling conflicted. Um, I think uh, there's a part of me and maybe personally, um, given the results that I felt like, okay, regardless of how you feel about the new um, forthcoming president and his administration, at least maybe there can be some normalcy (laughs) Uh, in our country as it relates to just his presidential nature, Um, the way that communication comes out of the White House, um, a message perhaps that is trying to unite our country and not divide our country. Just some things like that, that, you know, even if I have a lot of struggles with Joe Biden, um, gave me some hope, gave me some, I I don't know, some peace. There was something that felt right about that. And then on the other hand, um, I'm, I'm getting a feeling that maybe (laughs) that that message of peace and unity, um, is just not going to be heard in our country. And so any, any hope of, um, you know, us coming together of healing, um, may just be a, um, you know, naive, I guess. Um, because it, it seems like, especially with the allegations of voter fraud, that, things feel as divided, honestly, as they've ever felt, um, at least in like my lifetime. I'm not going to speak on behalf of the history of America because <laughs> we did have a civil war. Um, but they feel, you know, in my lifetime, things feel as politically divided as they've ever felt. Um, and so it makes me concerned. Um, so I, I feel a bit conflicted and I probably just need to get away from social media right now. That's what I probably need to do. That's not as real. Um, I think I feel a little bit of the same myself. Um, as an African-American woman, obviously there is just a lot of excitement for me just for the historic nature of what it means for Kamala Harris to be the um, vice president-elect and kind of what that means um, just for women of color everywhere. Um, I have appreciated what has felt like a little bit of normalcy after four years of 
what feels like it wasn't normal. Um, although I think there is a, still a reality in our country there that we're divided in a significant way and what it looks like for um, Biden to really come in there and do what he's saying that he wants to do. Um, and so what will the next four years look like and what hurdles will he have to overcome that have kind of been set there before he even started? Um, so I think there's a bit of hope. Um, there is a bit of just excitement, but there also is kind of this trepidation of, okay, what's really going to play out for the next four years? Because the things that have been difficult um, aren't necessarily going away. And so how do we engage that and deal with that? And how is our government going to handle some of those things? How about you, Adam? How are you yeah, feeling? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, culturally, I am trying to um, just assess, like everyone, you know, what where, what's the state of the country now? And I don't really think this election provided an answer. That that's That's how I feel about it. I'm not trying to be cynical. I'm really not. Um, but I, I think it would be foolish if if um, anybody tried to claim some sort of mandate from this type of election. It seems as though uh, it was close. Um, now, with with some of the votes coming in and the counting, um, you know, historic voter turnout, all those kind of things. It, the the lead that that Biden has seems to have grown, but still, I think um, I think you'd have to say that this was a really close election. And so, if if what if if what we were hoping this election would provide is clarity, one way or the other, you know, whether it was overwhelmingly for Trump or or and and the brand he represents, if you want to if you want to call it that, or overwhelmingly for Biden. And the brand he represents, uh, I don't think you can claim that kind of victory on either side. In some sense, it seems that the country is pretty clearly divided. And so we, um, well, as a, as a people, are, you know, as you guys have alluded to, we're going to have to learn how to, um, how to move forward. But I think more importantly uh, for our listeners, the question of what, what is the role of the Christian uh, what is our role in this kind of divided society? Um, and luckily, I think, uh, or not luckily, but, um, you know, w- we have a history of, of the church uh, bringing, being peacemakers and bringing clarity in times of confusion and strife. So, um, yeah, I'm hopeful in the sense of what the church can do. Uh, I'm not hopeful in the sense of what you know, the election and, you know, answered or didn't. Do you question, um, do you think, I was just thinking about this actually, cause I would have had the same answer. I mean, I, I just said something along the same lines of, you know, our country feeling as divided as ever because of how close the election was. But I, I, I wonder still at the same time, is this telling us that maybe our country is way more center and not left or right than, we think it is. And, and everyone would prefer a party, a candidate that's not so left, that's not so right. Um, is there something to that you think? Just because like, if I can say this um, on this podcast, but just because Trump has been so, um, you know, his rhetoric being so hateful, um, his the allegations that, that that he's made about people and and I mean in many ways he has been um, his administration has been a reality TV show yet so many people still voted for him and that 
I, I wonder if that is because our country is still not as left leaning as we think it might be. Like there are still a lot of people who are left center or center who are like, man, I just, I guess I'm going to vote for Trump because what the left is kind of representing now is way too far on one side than um, I'm ready to, to get behind. Like, I don't know. That's kind of like another way to see it, but maybe that's, maybe that's wrong. And maybe we just are really divided kind of along these lines. I think, what do y'all think? No, I think David, I mean, I, I heard a pundit say this, but there, what is true uh, is that in, at least in our mainstream media outlets, um, there is a large section or swath of our country that is underrepresented. And that's just true. Whether that is a centrist, cent, you know, a centrist voice, a center voice, that seems to be barely represented on any news station, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, or media station or outlet. Um, but I also think the, you know, some of the, I don't know, I, I you know, I think um, there is a, a really, to your point, I think the, the media and the coasts probably have a louder voice um, than and represent sort of a, a different voice than the, the large majority of the country. And I think you're right about that. I think we are more center um, or center right. Even, you know, I mean, that's what historically people have said about America, that it's a center right country. And if you were to look at the last however many years, 50 years, um, that that's been true in the, in the poll, in the voting um, history of our country as well. So m- maybe things are just normal. Maybe maybe you're right. Maybe it's just holding trending like it's always trended, you know. Yeah, I mean, I think you've seen this this tension between um, personality and policies. And so even when it comes to the races in the Senate and the House, you see that people didn't necessarily vote um, against Trump and then vote Democratic all the way down the line. Um, and so I do think that there is this more, even some of the Christians that I talk to is being able to recognize some of the things that are unsettling about um, Trump and how he leads. But there are certain issues that are like, hey, as a Christian, that I don't know how to get around this. Um, and I think that there are a lot of people in that boat that recognize the complexity of politics and the complexity of the solutions for the problems that we're looking for, um, but just don't, just can't see themselves voting against or for certain things. Um and so I think it just is an interesting place to see. Um, for me, it's, I felt like a lot of specifically Christians got engaged in politics in a way that they never had been before. Um, and so recognize the complexity of their vote um, in ways that they were just like, oh, it's just a really simple deal. And it's like, it's not simple. Um, and how people really feel about certain things that are not necessarily represented on whatever news channel you're watching or whatever newspaper you're reading um, that seem more polar extremes than what's sitting in the middle and kind of the person who I think it's easy for each side to demonize the other and demonize. It's like, how could you be this person and vote this way? Um, And really that people are more conflicted than is given chance to be, to be talked about in the media. Um, And really how do I take my convictions and take them to the poll? And that's just not easy for people. Um, And so I just feel like even in how we will see how other races played out, is that the voting patterns of people are extremely interesting um, and what that will look like for us going forward. Well, that's really, um, I think there's a lot to discuss there. Uh, and and we, we, to your point, Elizabeth, we haven't seen all of the 
breakdowns yet. And I think we'll be able to see more uh, as time goes by the breakdowns of how people voted. Like I haven't really seen anything yet about how evangelicals voted, although I'm sure it's going to be similar to 2016. But I'd, I'd like to see us uh, not us, but the country dive into to those things and try to really mine the data for some, I don't know, some interesting interpretations of what happened. Um, but uh, we don't have that yet, and uh, I'm looking forward to having it. Well, before we jump into uh, President-elect Biden and uh, VP Miss Kamala Harris, uh, let's talk about uh, voter fraud and the chaos that's ensued from these allegations of voter fraud. Does there seem to be any uh, evidence of fraud? I don't. I don't know if you guys have like read any of the news or, or tried to keep up with it. Um, and and either way, if there is fraud, does that mean we should oppose legal action in a recount? What's your take? It's a big question. Um, I think. Um, my simple answer is that there, at this point in time, and I'll preface what I say with that, um, there has not been any um, significant ev- evidence of voter fraud across the 50 states um, that's been communicated, brought to light, or anything like that that we, we know of. In fact, I think it came out today, the New York Times, and I know as soon as I say the New York Times, I'm sure a listener is probably like, well, it's the New York Times. Can you trust the New York Times? I, I hope we can, Um, at least in this kind of, you know, situation, I'm going to, to trust them. They, they went out and spoke with every state, the officials that, you know, are over voting in those states to, to dig in and, and kind of investigate whether or not there is any evidence of voter fraud in any significant um, amounts. And from all 50 states, the, the clear answer was no. Um, I, I think that there's certainly going to be voter fraud in this election. There's voter fraud in every election, but typically it's in the hundreds, it's in the low thousands and has never, you know, been as well, I don't want to say never, but it's not been a situation to where it would change the outcome of an election in a significant way. And, and in this election, that that seems to be the same case. And so um, does that does that mean that Trump doesn't have the right to pursue legal action and ask for a recount in particular states. Um, I guess not. Um, I believe that is his right. Um, I just think that I would probably warn people to not um, make allegations or draw conclusions or anything like that, or to believe, just start believing things that you hear and say that's not backed by evidence until, you know, a, um, an investigation is done and and we get to the bottom of it. Yeah. You know, I think um, narratives matter. Um, And so, you know, the dynamic of, um, I think there's a certain percentage amount where you can request a recount, you know, so I think some of these things are a part of what is available to any presidential candidate um, for his party to pursue but how do we do so in such a way that doesn't erode people's trust in the very kind of central factor of our democracy? Um, you know, and I think this idea of and what we've seen in other places is just the eroding of people's belief in truth in some ways that are really fundamental and can can and whose impact is 
has a long range um, in terms of what happens. And so I think it just is the way that certain stories are being told um, without what seems to be uh, a significant amount of evidence um, to me does damage to our ability to be able to trust in the very thing which we're able to have a voice in this country is our vote. Um, and so I think we've talked about conspiracy theories before on this podcast. And I think there are a lot of conspiracy theories um, swirling around when it happens to this election. Um, and so Adam, our resident conspiracy theory expert, <laughs> you know, how do we as Christians, and I think all for all of us, I think to kind of jump in on this one, because um, again, it is, I think what we've seen in the past few days is is part of a larger problem. And again, that is, what happens when people don't believe in truth anymore? Um, and that kind of goes out the door. Um, you can see the the dangerous pathway that sets us on. Um, and so kind of how do we engage some of these conspiracy theories um, about the election as Christians? Like, how do we navigate those? That's that, that's a great question. And I one thing just to, that I think it's it's from the previous question, but bleeds into this one is, and, it, and it's as it relates to voter fraud, because one of the conspiracies is that there is, and, and it's kind of been this way from the beginning, that there's this cabal of, you know, elite um, shadowy figures who are sort of entrenched in our in our government uh, that have been trying to delegitimize a Trump presidency from the beginning, and now we're going to try to steal it from him, right? And that's, that's happening th- through really what would, what would have to amount to the largest conspiracy in history, perhaps the history of the world, that that you know these elite figures, and then also uh, officials in several states across the country, and then workers under those officials in several states across the country would have to somehow um, add ballots on an unprecedented scale in order to steal this from Trump. And so why, one of the things I said, I think I said it, if I didn't, uh, one of the, one of the things to remember is that history is important. Um, narrative is important, but history is important too. And, and I, I, I think this is important to say, um, any, what we do want is to let, we do want democracy to work. Like I, I think even as, as Christians, what we'd say is we'd want this fair process to work. And so I, I don't think there's anything wrong with wanting a recount, making sure things are uh, – that every vote gets counted, all those kind of things. I think all of that's really good and that every vote's counted correctly and all those kind of things, right? And I don't think we want voter fraud. We want uh, instances of voter fraud to be found out and pursued. But here's the thing. There have not – recounts in history – have never amounted more than votes in, in in around the hundreds, right? Moving from one side to the other or just being thrown out. Um, and so one of the things that I think to not get caught up in is the fact that when you have a recount, um, th- there isn't likely going to be a scenario where a recount actually changes anything about the election. Um, it may change a few hundred votes one way or the other, um, but... Uh, for it to have a material effect on this election, it would have to change things in a way it never has across several states. Um, same with voter fraud. It would be the same thing. It would be in the hundreds or so. 
And, and that's, it's just very unlikely that across several states, things would swing to such a dramatic way because of a recount or because of voter fraud that they would actually end up at this point in a Trump win. Um, so I think it's important for us, you know, as uh, to, to just kind of know the facts and know the history a little bit as listeners. And then, uh, and, and I think that actually helps us, it arms us in a way against some of these conspiracies. I think the best thing we can do as Christians, and I mean this as it relates to conspiracies, is remember the story that we actually belong to. And this really points back to what you were saying, Elizabeth. The story that we belong to is not the story of, I'm a Democrat, I'm a Republican, I'm I'm politically homeless, I'm whatever. The story we belong to is that we have a king and he reigns in heaven and he came and he gave his life for us um, and and we uh, are his children and we're actually a part of his kingdom and we're ambassadors of that kingdom. That That's the story we belong to. And so it's if we remember that and we hold that as central in our lives, it's hard to get caught up in these sort of wild stories that are happening around us, right? I think it's only when we're placing hope in really, well, in idols, right? And we all do this. So that's not a shame. That's not me trying to shame anybody. We all we all can do this. Uh, we all can place our, our hope in idols. But it's only when we're placing our hope, I think, in, in, in a person who isn't Jesus, that we could get caught up in such a way that we would believe that, you know, there's this whole cabal of evil people who are trying to steal an election from, from somebody, you know? I don't know if that's helpful, but that, that, I, what are y'all's take? Is, is that helpful to you guys? Or Yeah. I mean, I think you always need this, this central point. Um, and you, one, you just become over-consumed with things. And so I think we place our hope or we have a massive amount of disappointment because an election didn't go the way we wanted it to and realize this isn't the first election that our country has ever had. Um, this isn't the first, whether it's whoever you feel disappointed about, um, this isn't the first government that's had people who aren't fully following the Lord in the way that they are trying to govern our country. Um, and you think about America as a civilization that is one of so many civilizations that have happened since the beginning of time. And so that in the midst of things where things seem out of control, God is in control and that we can hope, put our hope and trust in those things. And so I think when you have that center point, um, it also helps us humanize people. And so I think a lot of what happens through um, our political conversations is that people get dehumanized really quickly. And so we're quick to think the worst. We're quick to um, read things and believe some things. It's like, hey, is that really true? Man, where am I getting this information from? Am I getting it from Facebook? Or am I getting it from a reputable news source that prides itself on trying to give the people good journalism? And I think that there are there are still um, outlets that are doing that. And so I think that we have to rein ourselves in to mob culture, to cancel culture, to all these things that we get um, sucked into and really center ourselves on the truth of the gospel and the truth of that God is in control. His providence and his sovereignty are not going to be thwarted by the 2020 election. Um and he's still taking us where he's been trying to take us since the beginning of time. And so I think that's really important to give us wisdom. And I think some of the things that we see written and shared and some of the things that we might be prone to believe just aren't wise. And scripture points us in the direction of what wisdom looks like. Yeah. And I and I think a Christian perspective and in, in kind of coming back at that Christian story also gives us just a framework for how to evaluate some of these things too. Like, I've heard, I've actually heard Christians say like, well, we believe in total depravity. So people 
could be so evil that they could, you know, all work together and plot this crazy thing. But like the other part of, and I'm stealing this a little bit from something I saw Mike Cosper say on Twitter, but like the other part of human depravity that they're not acknowledging is incompetence. (laughs) And the thing is like, we are so fallible and so prone to mistakes as people because we're imperfect. I mean, like just using, you know, with that in mind, thinking about logic and reason and just the ability for people to be competent enough to work together. You're talking about people from all different countries and all different walks of life and all different jobs and they have some master plan that one one little mistake could mess it all up. You know, like it just that that type of thinking starts to really dismantle a lot of conspiracy theories um, and even a lot of the conspiracy theories that are, you know, coming up around this election. Um, so I think I think that's something to keep in mind as, as Christians. And then like this is maybe less a Christian perspective, but just a general thought about conspiracy theories. Like I've heard a lot of people, there's this kind of thing that people are using. They're like, well, I'm just asking questions. I don't know if y'all have heard that. I'm just asking questions. And um, I think there's a responsibility. I think it's fine to ask questions. Asking questions is good. Like we should be skeptical about things, generally speaking, because we do live in a fallen world. But like you can ask your questions, but then you have a responsibility to go try to find answers. And if you don't find good answers that validate, you know, the questions that you're trying to get after, then you have to leave that alone. You can't just keep talking about your questions that are out there. You have to put lay those questions aside and move forward. You have a responsibility to do that. You can't just kind of keep, you know, going back to those questions. And I think that that's a really helpful thing with this particular situation with fraud, because this is not a situation where, President Trump is just wanting to kind of recount things because it's so close. I mean, he quickly kind of put the stake in the ground and said, you know, there's fraud, they're cheating. These shadowy figures are trying to get me like that. There's a narrative and um, yet there's no evidence to back up that narrative. So you can, you can ask some questions. Like there were some kind of weird things about voting, like, you know, certain States, we didn't all understand why a lot of these melon votes at the very end were all in favor of Biden, but you can ask those questions and be concerned. But I think you though, you go to try to find answers. And I would say that there were pretty good answers, pretty reasonable answers for some of those things that kind of felt off and inconsistent. So I would maybe, that's not a Christian perspective. That's just a human perspective of responsibility (laughs) of like, you can't just ask questions and leave them, leave them hanging. If you've went out and found and not been able to find answers to those, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I think that, and again, what I've seen is Christians see the necessity for, Oh, we got to think like you just can't say something and then don't have the evidence to back it up. Like we need to really be educated about, um, what's going on again from reputable sources um, and this idea that um, sometimes because something sounds really nonsensical um, and mysterious doesn't mean it's the right answer. Um, sometimes the most obvious answer is the right answer um, and that we wouldn't, yeah, that we would have more wisdom in how we approach things because it's real people and it's real lives. Um, and again, when truth erodes, there really isn't much left. Um, when people don't have anything to believe in. And so it's a necessary part 
of our society. But kind of how, what are your thoughts about that, Adam, in terms of where we look for and find truth? Because again, um, conspiracy theories seem to be readily available. Um, I think this is one of the most important questions because, um, you know, it's not just a question of where do we find truth and it's like, here, I think part of the problem, part of what the, the problem is, and this is sort of goes back to some deeper issues that we talked about with like French and some other guys who've been on, but it's like, man, the trust in institutions have, has just plummeted. So even, you know, David's like kind of joking, but it's like, I mentioned the New York times. It's not just the New York times. It's like, people don't believe the media at all. You know, it's like, everyone's a liar. So then where do you go? Well, social media, well, social media's got all this fake stuff on it. Okay. So I can't trust social media. So there's just like, I mean, literally there is, it feels like there is no place to turn. And you know, what ends up happening often, I think, uh, you know, or I, this is what I perceive. This is, this is basically what some of the, the arguments of, um, of, of some of the sociologists out there is that people just sort of turn inward into their tribe. And that's why you have these bubbles being even more influential. So it's like, man, I'm just going to go to what feels good and what feels good is whatever I happen to agree with. Right. And, um, so even like, let's talk about like, like real talk. When people talk about watching Fox news, they're not talking about watching the factual news portions of Fox news. They're talking about watching opinion shows. Right. And a lot of times when people talk about watching NBC or, or MSNBC or some, some of these other stations, even CNNs or whatever, you know, um, they're not talking about watching the factual reporting that's happening there. They're talking about more the opinion or the hard hitting pieces or these kind of things. And, so, and I mean, I'm guilty of this, you know, um, I think we all are of going to those places that feel comfortable and hearing somebody that's talking like we're talking or, or whatever. And what I often remind myself is, and I said it earlier, but it's like, I, there are broad swaths of the country that are not represented in media, man, who we like Christians are not well represented in media at all. So I think any time I'm going to that source I think anytime I'm walking outside of the just straightforward factual reporting, I, I immediately get skeptical of what's going on. So the first thing I would say, and where do you find truth is, yes, we've got to be, we've got to be, um, we've got to be careful about our sources. Uh, but the, the second, the, the one thing you said, um, Elizabeth, that was really good was you mentioned wisdom. And I think this is something that I've just been thinking so much about lately is the, the idea of wisdom. Um, the, the, the wise understands the complexity of the world and the wise is able to, the wise is able to, um, sift through complex information without, without getting swept up in the emotion of it all. Uh, without listening to the first voice they hear, they're able to recognize that honey voice that sort of is sweet to them and can kind of carry them away and go, whoa, 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 that's a siren song. I don't need to follow that. You know, let me strap myself to the mast as, as Odysseus had to do to uh, avoid the sirens, you know. Um, and, and I think that's, that's in a sense as Christians, what we're, what we're, what we are trying to do. First of all, we are tethered to the true story, the one truth. Um, and that's where we go for our comfort as it relates to conspiracy theories or what's happening into the news. You know, I think as Christians, and I mean this, God asks us to be wise and he asks us to be shrewd. And so we don't have to 
pledge allegiance to a media outlet. Sure, listen to things you like. That's fine, whatever. But don't be too quick, you know? I think it's really good to try to be shrewd and to take time and to, and to, in a world that wants to tell you that you have to make snap decisions about really important things. I think it's okay to take your time and ask, and to, to David's point, ask good questions. One other point, I know I've been talking really long, but I, I, David, to your point about these people who are like, I'm just asking questions. I'm just asking questions. Man, that that is a uh, feather ruffler for me because <laughs> I think you have to ask questions in context. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I think it's something like um, there's a really, I don't want to get, here's a question. Maybe elves have infiltrated the polling stations. I'm just asking questions and they're the ones they're magically, you know, they're magically manipulating things. It's like, okay, that's a question that doesn't matter. And I mean, this is sort of the same thing. It's like, maybe there's a cabal of evil pedophiles, you know, led by Jeffrey Epstein and JFK is going to be the savior of the world along with Trump. This is really, this is QAnon, right? And this this evil cabal is like, you know, stealing the election from Trump. It's like, it's in the same category. And I think we have to be able to bracket out somehow, if we have a shot at anything, we have to be able to bracket out the stories, even the questions that are leading us to craziness. We have to. And that doesn't mean that crazy things don't happen in the world. It just means we're going to be winsome and wise and slow to dive headlong into those things. I really like the the piece about going to reporting before commentary first. You you may have said it a different way. And I know sure. that even re- like if we're being honest, even reporting has a bias. Like all everybody has a bias. Like that's just Yes. If you're a human, you have a bias because you see things and interpret things and communicate things through a lens, which is a subjective lens. It's just it's fact. Um, however, reporting is going to be, it's going to be closer down. If it's like, you know, if it's a layer, like you're, you have these different layers, like you're getting at least closer to the center. You, you can be, you can obviously know that it's going to have a bias, but when you go straight to the reporting, you, you know that it's going to be closer to the actual story. And then the f- more you get away from that into commentary and then you just, you know, like subreddits and all kinds of crazy stuff. Like you just, yeah, you have to know that you're dealing with, you know, you're really far removed from the actual thing itself at that point. And it's funny that Christians, we, we tell people to do this all the time with their Bibles. <laughs> um, so we should, we should know how to do this. You know, you, you don't, you need to go just read the scripture for yourself. You know, like, let's start there. Let's not just go hear what someone says, take it as truth, and then, you know, believe that. But like, you know, go investigate the scriptures yourself. And then, you know, then you can go to commentaries and then you can, you know, look at what other people are saying and sort of compare that. And and doing these things in community too. I think like, what is your Christian community saying about this? Like, are you the the only one in your group of friends who believes this kind of crazy thing? There might be, (laughs) there might be something to that, you know, like if everyone else is saying something different, then that might be a sure sign that you've kind of went off in in the wrong territory. Let's talk next about Joe Biden, whether you voted for him, whether you didn't vote for him. uh, What do you guys think? What are we to make of him and his platform over the next four years? 
And I think on the surface level, what I've appreciated is his desire to unite America. Um, And so he's obviously stood on this same platform his entire campaign, um, which is to deal with the division that we have in our country. Um, Now on the details of the platform, because I can love what you say on a speech, but let's see what you do when you are actually in power and making decisions. Um, You know, there are definitely some things that... um, I think my faith would have me concerned about, you know, I think there are specifically um, a lot of (laughs) African-Americans, no surprise, who voted for uh, Biden. And there for us, a lot of, um, I think for all Americans, issues of criminal justice, um, you know, topics of defunding the police. Um, Regardless of how you feel about that, the question is, man, how is um, Biden going to be able to navigate some of the issues that have been hot button conversations for us in the past few months and really give some change that presses back against the narrative um, of what he did in the period of the war on drugs. Um, And so I think that there is waiting to be seen, okay, how are the promises that have been made and how are we going to see those play out and really trying to bring the country together to really seek the welfare of everyone when the division is something that holds us back from doing that. And so I think that's one thing that I'm waiting to see is um, a significant amount of a demographic that's voted for him. Okay, what are we going to see in the next four years that supports some of the major issues that the demographic might be looking at? And so I think criminal justice reform is something that... um, kind of just sitting and waiting on and seeing what's going to happen in our country to really kind of deal with some of these complicated issues that don't have easy answers. Um, but again, it's on the forefront. What are you thinking, David? I would say I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic about uh, a Biden presidency. I think that um, as you were already talking about, a president sort of has two aspects of him. There's a symbolic um, personified side of him. And then there's the actual policies, you know, he's a mouthpiece for our country and the way he communicates, the way he, um, his rhetoric, his posture, um, those things are really, really important. Um, and, and I think that that's been a big tension, you know, for me and many others with Donald Trump is that, that posture of his, um, being one that is so harsh and so brash and, um, one of pride and and things like that, um, that are really, I would say rub, rub up against the, the Christian story, um, in a, in a significant way. Um, when it comes to Joe Biden and his, um, and those things, I, you know, I, I see a lot of, I'm hopeful because this is a man who has, his story is, is, is a, is a tough story. You know, he lost his, his first wife and daughter in a car accident. Um, he later lost his son to brain cancer. Um, he has suffered a lot in his life and you can see, um, in the way that he communicates how much that has affected him in the way that, um, his compassion for other people, um, his compassion for those who do suffer, um, you see that a lot with him. And you also see a guy who for the most part is, is pretty gentle um, pretty meek, pretty soft-spoken. That's not to say that he, you know, can't lose his cool in a debate with Donald Trump like he did. Um, but for the most part, pretty stark contrast in, you know, his rhetoric and posture compared to President Trump. And I think that that's something our country really needs because I think that 
I've seen a lot of negative consequences in the last four years of having a leader who um, is going to say what they want to say. They're going to say it like it is, and um, they don't care about offending people. They don't care about hurting people's feelings. And I think that those things have consequences, and they've had consequences in our country. So that piece of things um, I'm pretty hopeful for, and I think that he, he seems like he can do a good job in that in that sense. But, you know, policies, um, you know, we don't have enough time to go into all the different issues here. You know, like I could we could break down every, you know, <laughs> economy, environment, abortion. There's just so much. <laughs> yeah. um, one of the most pressing things I will say is COVID-19 and our, our country's response to COVID-19. I I am sign I have way more hope in, I mean, he, he already rolled out a high level plan, which is not even the detailed plan. And it's a far, um, a far more dense, um, dynamic plan. Well, there really hasn't been much of a, there has not been a national COVID plan for our country, you know, like that's just not been a thing, you know, Trump's approach has been to give uh, sort of responsibility to the States and they've kind of had to figure things out for themselves. And I think that we've seen um, the results of that and our country has suffered and um, hundreds of thousands have died. And, you know, in our country right now, cases are as worse as they've ever been. You know, things are spiking. It's just not looking good, you know. Um, and so I think that, like, I do feel a lot more confident in his ability to bring in the right people and to get things um, in line as well as they can be, you know, in a global pandemic as it relates to COVID-19. So I think, I mean, that's a big one. And that's going to affect our country, not just in 2021, but probably into 2022, um, so that's a piece of things for sure. And then, you know, I, I'm, I think systemic racism is an interesting one. I, he's made a lot of promises. Um, and if you go read about his platform, I think there are a lot of good things that he and, um, Kamala want to roll out, but, um, you know, I guess time will tell if those things are actually executed and, you know, if he does those things. And I think, the f one one small note there, even though I struggle with a lot of the Democratic platform as it relates to the issue of abortion, um, one of the just interesting things to think about is that I think if you look at a lot of the – if you dig into the issue of abortion, you see how complex it is and you see how um, you know simply overturning a law like Roe v. Wade – is a solution, but not the solution for, you know, reducing abortion in America. And I think a lot of research would tell you that addressing an issue like systemic racism, which is, has all these other, all these facets to it that are actually things that put a lot of these women in very vulnerable, difficult situations, uh, mass incarceration, uh, you know, uh, just economic inequality, you know, um, I think that if those things are executed the way that they're, they say they are, um, it could actually have an interesting um, effect on this issue of abortion and potentially reducing abortions in our country um, in a significant way, I think. You know, that's going to take time. We're probably not going to see it in the next four years. But um, that I believe those are the types of things that actually get more to the root of the problem of abortion in America. So even though there's it's contradictory and ironic because 
the way that some of these people and even Biden himself and uh, VP Kamala Harris speak about abortion, it, it, it makes me cringe sometimes, you know, just this idea that it's a woman's right, it's healthcare. And, and it, and I understand where they're coming from to some degree, but I, I really struggle with that. But the irony is that I believe some of the policies that they're going to roll out could actually, you know, reduce abortions in America. So that's why that issue is just not so black and white. And it's not so either or you vote for Biden, you vote for abortion, you vote for Trump, you support, you know, you're opposed to abortion. It's just not that simple. That's what I learned during this election. And I definitely think that'll play a part in Biden's administration. Well, you guys are more optimistic than me. I the, the, the optimism I do have is that the church will become a purer church. And here's what I mean by that. I think um, one of the struggles we've been seeing is this struggle between whether we're still part of whether the church actually has cultural power or not. And I actually think we have for a while been struggling with the move to being more of a remnant, a church remnant. And I think this presidency will usher us into the church remnant faster. Um, And because of that, I think it'll be harder to engage in church at a cultural level, meaning um, the nominal Christian, the I'm at church because it's culturally acceptable to. And for some of our listeners, this may be really strange, but, um, you know, it's interesting to watch churches in New York kind of interact with this. It's interesting to watch how churches in London interact with these like cultural hot button topics. And um, do I want to be in the same place that they are? I mean, there's, there's fears I have about it, but they seem to not so easily get swept up into the culture wars and those kind of debates. It seems much purer. It's easier to look at your neighbor and think about how you want to love your neighbor rather than seeing everybody different from you as your enemy or whatever. It's, it's, it's so less political. And I think that I really do believe that um, part of what the, the, the Orthodox Christian church is struggling with right now is this difference between a church that's realized that they're the church remnant and this church that thinks they still have cultural power. And um, I, I think the quicker we move into the remnant mindset, the better off we're going to be. I really do believe that. And I think this will help us usher that in. Um, are, are, yeah. are you saying are you saying that because um, the Christian right has been so well? It's the Christian right, I guess. I just said it, but like evangelicals have been so tied to the Republican Party, yes, and and in turn with Trump, that this is essentially a Biden presidency can help unhinge that sort of marriage or un, uh, like take that apart is that what you're getting at yeah i think um i think a biden presidency will help take that apart but i also think a biden presidency will um will force the church farther to the margins as well i i do not think a biden presidency is friendly to the church i don't believe that but i also didn't necessarily believe that the trump presidency was friendly to the church i thought it uh, pandered to the church and pretended to be, but I don't know that it actually was. I certainly don't think a Biden presidency will pander to the church at all. And if anything, 
you know, just reading some of the policy decisions he does want to make uh, and, and some of the, I don't know, more left-leaning of those in the Democratic Party, of which he is a part, I don't think the church is going to be welcomed in with, like, open arms or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Into the national conversation. That's what I would say. Yeah. But I, I think part of, and maybe this is what you're saying, is, like, I don't think we want that. I think that we don't need that. No. Yes, and I'm I sorry. Think that yes. that's, and that, yeah, and I think that's, that's a revel, and I think that's a revelation yeah. for us as the church. Um, so I think that that's a good thing. Um, that's it, what I'm trying is, to say. It, You're it saying it better than I said. Well, you know, I mean, I, I'm just trying to kind of make sense of what you're saying too, because like, I think like the pushback. If if Joe Biden heard you say that, for example, he would say, "But I'm a Catholic, and my faith is the most important thing in the world to me." Kamala Harris would probably say the same thing. So like, I'm just trying to think about like what, and I, and you know, again, I'll get an email for this. I believe Biden could very well be a Christian. Um, I really, I mean, he seems to be super locked into his faith and it's a different faith. You know, it's, it's a different, uh, he's not a Protestant, he's Catholic. So it's different, a lot of different beliefs than me, but um I don't know. So I'm just kind of trying to reconcile those two things. Is it that the Democratic Party is trying to be unfriendly to the church or is it that they are trying to kind of go back to that separation of church and state idea of um, the church maybe not receiving favors from the government and trying to really like create a clear separation there. And I, I wonder if that's a good or bad thing. I know I'm opening up a can of worms by asking. Yeah, and I'm sure it's I'm, look, you know, I'm sure within the, the party itself, there's there's probably certainly, it's depending on who you talk to, there are absolutely, I mean, I think you would have to be a fool to think that uh, there are those in the Democratic Party who view the church favorably. They're, 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 I'm sorry, let me say it a different way. I think you'd have to be a fool to think that there aren't people who see the church as the enemy in the Democratic Party. There are certainly people in the yeah. Democratic Party right now who would love nothing more to embarrass the church. That's true. There's not, yeah. I mean, like that's not even a controversial statement. So I, whereas I think while that may be true of people in the Republican party, meaning they might not care about it, they would never, they could never say that or run on that platform or anything else. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that makes sense. What are your thoughts on this, Elizabeth? <laughs> I mean, I think it's been interesting just to see, the church's connection with, uh, I think specifically the Republican Party. Um, and just when we talked to Caitlin about her book, um, The Liturgy of Politics, and just the decisions that have been made um, for power. And so that things have been exchanged that we probably wouldn't have agreed with at the onset of the decision. Um, but you think you get to a point now where the church Christian witness is a little kind of questionable in terms of, man, how does what you all believe as a church, and I think these are non-believers looking in, um, match up with the way that you present yourself kind of in this political arena. Um, So I think going forward, whatever happens with the Biden presidency, I think because that power is no longer in our hands in the same way, forces us to... um, 
to choose what we should have been choosing in the first place, which is the Lord, um, and to stand for what we believe in, regardless of what side of the line it falls onto. And the complexity of that decision um, is something that requires um, Christians to be more knowledgeable about what it means to be a responsible citizen. I think, again, I probably said it like three times on this podcast, but I think there's a lot of Christians who started figuring out how their government works in 2020. Um, because they didn't think that they needed to be concerned about that. And we really do. Um, and so I think that there's going to be um, a maturing that comes from the church. I think there's going to be a place of strength, but strength because we'll be on the outside um, and not on the inside holding on to power like we wanted to before. All right, y'all, let's go back to the question. Why should the response and behavior of Christians Amid the election results be different than that of others on both sides of the political spectrum. I think we've been saying this a lot in different ways, but, you know, at the end of the day, um, our allegiance is to a different kingdom. It's not to our allegiance is not to the kingdom of America or the kingdom of the left or the right, however you want to put that. But our allegiance is to Christ and his kingdom and when your allegiance is there, um, your foundation, your identity, your purpose, your mission in life, all these things are so very different than what they would be if your allegiance is in our country or in a politician or a party. Um, and so I think our response should be different if our allegiance is really there. And I think that, you know, I can struggle with this. I see a lot of other Christians struggling with this, but like, we're not all worked up right now. I mean, we are concerned about those who will be affected by an election and we should be because those are the marginalized. Those are the, the oppressed. And those are the people that we are called to, to care about and look out for. And so I, I do think there's a heaviness to situations like this that we should be concerned about, but like, you know, we're not shaken, um, in situations like this. And so, um, in that sense, you know, the way we communicate, the way we handle ourselves, uh, specifically on social media has got to be different, you know, like, are we just jumping in on whatever? And I do think a Christian can be a Republican. I think a Christian can be a Democrat. Are you just jumping in on whatever side you're, you're a part of and kind of just joining the fight? and just getting in the midst of the, the culture wars that are going on right now? Um, or are you taking a different path? And I think if your allegiance is, is truly to Christ, then that path is going to, it's going to look different. The way you speak is going to look different. And, um, yeah, you're not going to lose hope. You're in, in, in situations like this, even, even if you see a lot of concerns with the Joe Biden and his administration, and a lot of things that might be scary to you, you won't lose hope. And I would say likewise, you know, if if there were another four years of Donald Trump. And that's the one that's harder for me. I'll just be honest. That's the one that's harder for me. If something crazy happened and that were the case, um, my gut reaction would, would probably be to, to not hope in the Lord. Um, you know, and a lot of that's personal, subjective, um, but um, it's something I got to deal with. Um I don't know. Those are some thoughts. What you thinking, Adam? I, I think he summed up the right point. I mean, the right point is that uh, our hope's in the Lord. 
it just is. And uh, while these things are hard, um, ultimately, uh, we know what story we belong to. And and so that's where I'm rooted. And uh, I, I will say, I mean, I know there's real lives on the line. I know, I know people are worried. They're worried that there's going to be another shutdown, you know. Um, they're worried that we're going to, like they were before, that there'll be a... Um, you know that that we won't we won't treat coronavirus with a scalpel, but we'll treat it. You know we'll we'll use a baseball bat to try to you know you know like we did before that the that the reactions might be such that people are going to lose their jobs. You know I talk to people every day who are still reeling financially from this. I think people are afraid about um um about coronavirus. I think people are afraid about uh, uh, socialism. I think people are afraid about what's going to happen with abortion and religious um, freedom and on and on and on I could go. I, I hear I hear people talk about it all the time. And again, I think a key word in each of those is afraid. And, and, and there is real suffering in this world, and I'm not trying to I'm not trying to dismiss that, but the truth is, is when Christ is at the center of all we do, he will be enough, and we, we will be able to get through this. And if you belong to a church family and community who can help bear your burdens, then an election uh, like this, even a very contentious one, uh, sort of fades to the background, and you really are able to see what's most important, and you really are able to offer love and receive love from other Christians around you and and to your neighbors. And I think that's the most important thing we need to hang on to right now. Yeah. I mean, I think you both all saying the same thing. Really great point. You know, most likely our president has changed, um, and we will see President um, elect Joe Biden, take us into the next four years. But our goal as Christians remains the same. Um, and it's grounded in the story that we believe. It's grounded in the cultivation of this world for the flourishing of humanity um, and for the glory of God. And so the issues are complex and it requires us to be responsible citizens to lean in to those conversations well. Um, it requires us to do the research to answer our questions well. Um, it requires us to walk in wisdom. It requires us to have compassion. It requires us to fight to humanize, whether we fall on the Republican or Democrat or somewhere in the middle. Um, but there's an opportunity for us as a church to get behind, I think, what President-elect Joe Biden is saying, and that is unity. Um, and that is harmony across the board. And that is some sense what we are about is bringing those things that are broken together. And so I think a great next step for anyone who's listened to this podcast and for us who are on is that we can be praying for our country, our current president and president-elect Joe Biden, um, that um, people would be cared for um, and that we can be bearers of hope, um, that we do not live with fear because our hope is in the Lord. Um, and God has been in control, is in control, and will continue to be in control, um, taking us to the place that he has begun us um, at the very beginning of time. Thank you for listening to Culture Matters. Today's episode was recorded and mixed by Chris Staird and produced by David Roark. If you like what you heard, please give us a great review where you listen to the podcast. Also, follow us on Instagram and support our Patreon page at patreon.podbean.com backslash culture matters. Thanks for listening and God bless.